Welcome to Dignity Leadership Podcast. We are so glad you have joined us here. I'm Rich Levine, Chief Dignity Officer. And I'm Brooke Coleman, Chief Inspiration Officer. I practice leadership using my Master's of Science degree in Leadership and Change and a Bachelor's of Arts degree in Sociology. I've examined how people try to work better together my entire career. And I practice leadership using an industrial organizational psychology degree with a focus on organizational behavior. A background in areas of sales, education, and management have allowed me to study and work with people at many different levels. In this podcast series, we want to expose the lessons we have learned through work and life experiences with the intent to encourage more people to learn, to grow, and to become better leaders. Together, we can create a world of dignity. Welcome to the podcast. Today, we're going to have a conversation about meetings. So we've got a great guest on the show. And you know, when we talk about meetings, it, it invokes a lot of feelings like likes, dislikes. You get a meeting. And, I mean, Brooke, what do, you, what do you experience when somebody says, hey, we're going to have a meeting? I visualize and I hear the word meeting. I see, uh, you know, a board meeting, a table, people sitting around it, papers, computers, very serious faces. <laughs> and when you go into that meeting, what do you accomplish? What do you hope to accomplish? And do you even come close to accomplishing anything? Good question. What do you hope to accomplish? I mean, you know, if you hopefully you're starting out with an agenda and there's actually a plan in place half the time, you don't even get that far. Um, if you are accomplishing that, I mean, are you moving forward with whatever you set out to accomplish? Are you guys actually reviewing whatever was mentioned the week before? Uh, yeah. And are you accomplishing anything? Is that and, the key question there? Yeah. And are you meeting just to meet? So, you know, yeah, <laughs> what yeah. are we going through? So we've got a, we've got a very interesting guest today. Um, she's a meeting expert. She sees meetings as an opportunity. And she's challenged us, you and I, to not use the word meeting. But when we start breaking it down and we work and look at our listener and our audience, everybody understands what the word meeting is or what word meeting is about. And for most of us, it's a negative connotation. At least it is for me. It's like, oh, God, here we go. 30 minutes. Somebody give me some coffee. I got to go through a meeting. I think I'm a little bit of a talker. So sometimes the... Uh... I say, I think I'm a little bit of a talker. I'm a lot of bit of a talker. Yes. Yes. You're a lot of bit of talker, but here's the other thing too. So we break down, we talked in one of the earlier podcasts about the different um, personality types and I'm a red. I just want to go in and I just want to get it done. And then you are a yellow. So you want to go out and you want to share and you want to talk and you want to enjoy and you want to have fun, but that's not who I am. Yeah. Um, sorry about that. My phone just went off. Hey, you know what happens? It's all, Bloopers. In it's, all in <laughs> it's all good. So somebody wants to call you and have a meeting about mm -hmm. you. It's probably a different boss from a different organization that wants to have a meeting with you and talk about what's going on. But let's get back to talking about our guest today. Um, she's also an expert on demand for Mural. Mm. And I, I use Mural a little bit. I don't know a lot about it. We'll have to ask. We'll have to ask. Her yeah, I'm curious to know more about it. Um, but when I Googled Mural, of course, you know this, I'm going to do my research, right? So I went out there and the first thing it says is say goodbye to boring meetings. Mm. So we'll have to find out what that is. And it also says that it's a, a visual collaboration tool for creative people. But now here's the other, uh, you know, other obstacle you're going to have. How many business leaders, business managers think that they're creative? I don't think I'm creative. I've been a business manager forever. 
And I'm learning that I am creative, but that's not how I view myself. Well, you know, it's funny because I grew up um, acting, singing, just loving theater. But when I think about my role as a manager, I don't think of creativity at all. It's so funny. I, I compartmentalize both. And yet to use that aspect of my personality and just my skill set would actually enrich my management skills and it just to, to a completely different level. I hadn't ever thought of that until just now. So in addition to her mural work, mm -hmm. she's also a group process consultant and human resources development expert. Wow. So now I'm a little bit scared because not only does she know how to have good meetings, mm -hmm. but now she's got some HR experience. And she believes that we should have a shift in thinking and we need to, I'm going to use a quote, air quotes, rethink the word and get away from saying meeting. So no meeting. No we will rethink the name. We're going to rethink the name. So okay, I'm probably, I'm so I probably have teased everybody enough. So our guest that's going to be joining us here in a few minutes is Linda Baker. She is the president of Meeting Solutions Online. She's an international leader in the field of group process consultation and values-based meeting facilitation. Right there's a mouthful. That's way more than I understand. So we'll have to ask her <laughs> when she comes on what all that means. But she's also co-authored um, a chapter on... Uh, facilitator competencies, which appears in the landmark publication by the International Association of Facilitators, the IAF, in the Handbook of Group Facilitation. And then where I met her mm -hmm. was as an um, adjunct faculty member at St. Edwards University, where she teaches facili the facilitation as a tool for strategic leadership in the master's in science program. Wow. So we'll have to ask her what her definition of strategic leadership is, because that's pretty interesting. Yeah. If we continue to go on, she's got all kinds of great credibility. Um, she's earned a distinction of certified professional facilitator, master the highest level of certification granted by the IAF. She also serves as one of 60 assessors for worldwide for their certification program. So now she can tell us if we're probably not going to pass that assessment. I'll take. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll get some, we'll get some keys out and we'll talk about that in the show. Um, she's also a certified, uh, she's certified as a technology of participation. So top facilitator. She's a mentor and trainer in top methodology, and she's an assessor for the top certification program. She's also served as a career coach at the University of Texas Business School. And she's a graduate of Leadership Austin, a nonprofit organization that develops and connects community leaders. Wow, that's quite a resume. So that is quite a resume. So without further ado, let's welcome Linda Baker to the show. Linda, welcome. Thank you. So nice to be here. <laughs> how did I do how did we do on your on your um, bio? Did we miss anything? Well, it sounds like I'm about 150 years old because I've done so much, but I think that uh, that's how you get an impressive resume. You just stay alive and keep working and it happens. So one of the foundations of leadership that I believe in is number one, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. So I am not in the wrong room because I'm surrounded by smart people. And it's why we get super smart people to come on our shows to help us learn, grow, and then create a world of dignity. But now I'm going to have to ask you out of curiosity, what is your definition of leadership? Well, you know, the comment you just made about if you're the smartest person in the room, you're not in the right room, I think is uh, can dovetail with the way in which I think of leaders. 
leaders recognize the wisdom that's around them and excellent leaders know how to leverage the wisdom of everyone around them. Um, used to be in the past, what we think of as leaders, as people who can give directions and tell people what to do and they will follow them. But I think leaders today, um, the requirement is that leaders know how to do things, not exactly what to do. And, and their process with them, their people wisdom leaders for isn't that right rich yeah so you so you broke up for a second so i'm gonna have you go back and you said that you kind of got garbled at leaders in the how so what did you know what you okay. said for that leaders today are not the kind of people who just know what to do and can give people directions about what they need to do Leaders today need to surround themselves with the expertise that's so complex in the world today. So good leaders today need to know how. They need to be process experts, not content experts. No leader can know everything they need to know about the challenges that they're facing. But if they know how to leverage the wisdom of the people around them, that is what will bring them to a new level of success and will help them lead people. So and then does that with, make sense? Yeah, it does. So with that definition for clarity would be it's facilitating, right? So you got to help people organize and get them to all do all these things because there's so much information in the world that no one person can know it all. So you have to facilitate all the different pieces, bring it all together and get and if you will synthesize it so they can come out with one outcome which would be your common goal or wh whatever you're trying to accomplish as a group. Is that a pretty fair assessment summary? Well, I I think it's a pretty fair assessment. I think that sometimes gaining insight and then bringing insight back to the group, it's it's not that you, it's not a, a brainstorming session where you get everybody's ideas, then you take it away and you act. It's an iterative process where you're working in partner. It's a mindset shift. I think that it's a different kind of leadership. Authoritative leadership, the way we think of leaders from the past, is appropriate in some, at some moments. In a crisis, in an emergency, um, if there were a fire in a room, I don't want a leader that's going to engage everybody in a conversation about what to do. I want somebody to come in and tell me where the exits are, and I want to get out. Uh -huh. But it's not, I'm not dissing or disrespecting the need for some kind of authoritative leadership, but I think the leaders today need to be more facilitative leaders because there's so much information in any one moment that you can gather on the internet with one Google search that it's impossible for any one person to know all those things. So, so go ahead. I'm sorry. So with that definition that you just gave us, help us understand so your class at St. Ed's is facilitation for, as a tool for strategic leadership. So help me understand or help our audience understand a couple of things. Number one, what is strategic leadership? And then two, why is that even important? And number three, what does facilitation have to do with it? Okay, perfect. And there you go. <laughs> so now you got three questions. So you're on the clock. Okay. So um, what is strategic leadership? Yes. 
Um, I think if you know how to play chess, you can take that metaphor of playing a game of chess where you know that just moving one piece is going to result in consequential other pieces on the chessboard. So it's being able to do some downboard thinking. That's strategic leadership. Yes. Um, you know who was really good at, at strategic leadership that most people don't know was Wayne Gretzky and why he was such a good hockey player? He wasn't the because biggest he. Guy. I know why. Because he, he hit the puck to where he thought the players were going to go. Absolutely. He could anticipate that. Wow. Absolutely. And I didn't mean I didn't mean to upstage you on that no, answer. No, you did awesome. I love it. I love it. She knows her metaphors. Yes, as well. she does. <laughs> so I like I like the chess analogy, but we tie in the other one so we bring in a few more listeners and they can if they don't know chess, then maybe they know hockey. But yeah, Wayne Gretzky wasn't the best. Well, and, and you know, you can if you know bowling, you know, you you know have to know exactly which pin to hit to knock down the other pins. You know, there's lots of lots of metaphors for it's really understanding the complexity of leadership and not it's understanding process, not only um, content. So, this, so the first, go ahead. So this will be a true story then. Next time somebody asks me, Hey, Rich, what's strategic leadership? I'm just going to answer. I owned a bowling alley once and I'm just going to wait for the reaction. That's a true story. I did own a bowling alley for a while. So, you now, know, now I've got you all off, off topic. All right. So number two, then, so we said number one is what is strategic leadership? So we just covered it's like playing chess and watching the dominoes. So question number two is why is it important? And then we got to get to three. What is facilitation? So why is strategic leadership important? Well, you should ask St. Ed's, but um, <laughs> why, is strategic, why is strategic leadership important? Um, I think because of the complexity of the world in which the complexity of the world in which we're living today demands a new way of thinking about leadership and marching to the beat of a particular drum when there's a cacophony of <laughs> instruments around you um, is not using another metaphor. There's more than one beat to march to. And understanding strategic leadership is, and being a strategic leader recognizes the complexity of the environment, the complexity of, of the human beings that you're um, called to lead, um, and the complexity, your own complexity. I think strategic leadership involves a substantial uh, degree of self-awareness. Um, strategic leaders know themselves. And and are on a continual uh, journey of self-discovery to hone their most valuable instrument, which is themselves in the service of the people that they lead. Yeah. So that goes back to my personal why statement, which is learning, growing, leading. So using strategic leadership. The other thing for me is too, as I look at strategic leadership, I look at it as, as almost as being visionary. So if you're a good leader, you're able to see these next steps that are coming and then you need to be able to articulate that vision. And if you can articulate that vision, then you start inspiring people because they're like, look at what tomorrow is going to bring. And then when you inspire them, you give them hope. And then when they start seeing it happens, you start building trust. Now you got all the pieces for great leadership. And it all comes back to what she said is knowing when you move one chess piece, what are going to be all the other pieces that are going to go with it? All right. So the next, the last one then is why, or how does facilitation fit into this? Well, um, 
I'm going to answer that question, but I want to ask, add one small piece of um, underscore to what you just shared, Rich. Okay. And that is when I taught leadership um, in a management series uh, for a, a state government uh, years ago, I remember what struck me about the curriculum and what we talked about was that having vision alone as a leader is not sufficient, but it's necessary, but not sufficient. You have to be able to not only have vision, but be the kind of person and be the leader that people want to follow. Mm. And I think that that really feeds into the next uh, question about why facilitation and the way in which I look at teaching at um, St. Ed's and teaching graduate students. Um, and it's related to something you asked when you opened the, opened the conversation and you said, what's values-based facilitation? Um, I think that the notion of values-based facilitation is that you act in a way in which is um, aligned with or an outgrowth of your values. So values-based facilitation um, means that there are certain principles and uh, that undergird or underscore the way in which you interact with people, what you believe about people, um, and that your actions or your operating uh, behaviors are an outgrowth of that. So, for example, um, you know, a belief that everyone owns a piece of the puzzle that has to do with solving a particular problem, uh, a belief that um, relevant information is critical to uh, effective effective decision-making. Um, you know, a lot of the work of Roger Schwartz, the author of Smart Leaders, Smarter Teams, he is um, strongly influenced my work, as well as the Institute of Cultural Affairs and the Technology of Participation, that work. They grow, this is work that understands that there are certain underlying principles. So how does this relate to facilitation and leaders? Um, my goal in teaching that class is not necessarily to make, uh, to turn everybody into star meeting leaders, although gathering people together in a meeting is a lot of the ways in which these people will be leading. Um, it's not about being a good flip chart writer or an excellent um, mural uh, manager. It's about understanding that the values of facilitation will influence you as a leader. If you have values that are rooted in valuing people, in respecting difference, in welcoming difference as opportunities for learning, those are the kind of values that will, yes, make you an effective meeting facilitator, um, but it'll also make you a strategic leader. Yeah, and I think the key piece you just touched on that I like the most is making the meeting about the people and not so much about the product or the process and being able to bring them in and get the most out of everybody, which is what I learned from facilitation. So I thought that was a pretty key piece. So now let's let's dive into what the meat, the 
the meat of the meeting of what this is all about. So we, we basically want to come up with three ideas for managers to have better meetings. We're going to use the term meeting until you get it out of our, out of our heads. So number one, can you help us um, understand, Linda, redefine meeting? If it's not a meeting, then, then what is it? What are we doing? I don't, I don't want to make the word meeting uh, t- taboo, um, but I know that people crave community and yet they abhor meetings. And the reason is typically because, like my mug says here, please, not another meeting. I think they abhor meetings because they know that they cannot get done alone what they need to get done with others and people want to be successful. So being in a meeting where there are obstacles to achieve what you need to achieve is very frustrating. People want to be successful for the most part. Therefore, I think of meetings as an event, maybe, an event that is an opportunity, a gathering of people together to solve a problem, share information, um, create actions. Um, It's not necessarily that you can't use the word meeting in a sentence. It's to put in your mind a new framework to understand that these are gathering, a gathering of individuals and there's an opportunity. And if you're a strategic leader, you know how to leverage that opportunity. Yeah, I think for me, the part that you touched on is that I like is we do want to congregate. We do want a sense of community as human beings. We all want that. But as soon as you formalize it and use the word meeting, then it becomes something that's negative or not thought highly of. Because there's not a problem in the morning when everybody gathers around the water cooler or the coffee pot and everybody's having these informal meetings and they're talking and usually it's a group of people that get along and they've got some trust built up in each other and they start having conversations and then one thing leads to another and then in walks one person that doesn't fit in the circle because they either have a different thought process or they're in a different department or they're not in that circle which we try to break down and then all of a sudden it throws it haywire and then you make it even more complicated when you're having your morning coffee at 8.30 and you got an all hands on deck meeting or all managers meeting at nine o'clock and then everybody's in there and the whole conversation changes. And I think a lot of what happens in these meetings is people become, they start, they start going after what they think the other people are expecting out of them. Oh, I think Brooke wants me to say this. So I'm going to try to talk to Brooke in these terms, or I think Linda wants to hear me say this. So I'm going to talk like that. Is that Am I anywhere close? Do you think, Linda? Well, I was gonna. I was gonna say real quick. It this notion of meetings as well. I think you're coming to the table, and who whoever is leading this meeting, or whoever has the responsibility on their shoulders. You know, are are they leading the team? Are they managing? Whatever that looks like, they're coming in with their their agenda. And so often they're just trying to knock things off, right? We need to go over this and this and this and this, and we need to get all this done in this set amount of time. So two things, people, other people in the room lose their voice, or they never even have a chance to have a voice, or you're focusing on so many different things that that you're not even sure where the meeting is going. What are your thoughts on that, 
Linda? Well, I think that you you raise lots of uh, lots of interesting uh, elements. Um, um, a meeting is about the people. It is about the process, and it is about the product. It's about all three of those things. Yeah. Oftentimes, people focus on the product and let the people in the process go by the wayside. Mm-hmm. Um, it's my tagline for my business has been: "Productive meetings don't happen by accident." <laughs> so how do if, we? How do we do a productive meeting then? Well, I think some thought goes into initially not just understanding what the rational aim is or the goal or the deliverable of the meeting, but what we describe in uh, the technology of participation and the top methods that I teach and use is that there's an experiential aim as well as a, uh, a rational aim. Everyone's going to be different at the end of any meeting, people are going to be different at the end of listening to this podcast. If you're alive, you're in a constant state of change. Mm -hmm. If you focus on the experiential aim for a meeting, then you can craft an agenda that addresses how you want people to experience that meeting or how you want them to be different in a way that's perhaps a positive difference. So for example, um, based on the people in the room, they will have different needs. If you even have the same exact topics that need to be covered with executives in an organization that you're using for individual contributors, you have the same content, the experiential aims are gonna be different based on the different populations. I think a good leader does not ignore who's in the room and also the context. You know, there's there's a reality, you know, the last several months in our lives that if we don't address that reality where a crisis occurs, you know, at the water cooler example that you gave, Rich, um, you know, if there's an outburst or if there's a crisis going on to ignore that crisis, Um, and not be able to integrate an awareness of that, you're not looking at the experience of the people in the room. You're not looking at the experience that people are going through. Um, And it's like that piece of contact paper. If you lay out contact paper and there's a bubble and you can't quite get rid of that bubble, it'll keep coming up. Yeah. And that's a valid point. And I've sat through a lot of meetings in my career where I've been the one that doesn't want to talk or there's other people in the room that don't want to talk, or I say something and the whole room goes quiet because they don't like what I had to say or vice versa. And then you create this whole sense of awkwardness. And it's part of what, you know, what we coach on and teach on, it goes all the way back to our very first podcast. And we talked about the different personalities Mm -hmm. and understanding what personalities are the room and how to get the best of them out, which is, I think, so for me, the way I kind of look at that, Linda, and you, and you taught me this through your classes, that's facilitation. So whoever, if I'm in the room running the meeting, I've got to be able to pull the best out of everybody and understand what the different comfort zones are and making sure that everybody has a voice to be heard. So let's go back to the water cooler conversation. How do you get, take that, you know, the water cooler conversation, you got three or four people there talking and they're having an engaging conversation because they all trust each other. And then you throw in that one odd dynamic. So for me, that's where the facilitator comes in and you got to be able to bring in that 
different dynamic and integrate it into the group and get them all thinking and working on the same page. So I'm going to challenge you back, Rich, which I think you usually welcome that. I do. Is that sometimes people aren't going to be on the same page. Uh Absolutely. And, you know, maybe they're just in the same chapter (laughs) or maybe they just are in the same book. Maybe the same library. (laughs) Really? I think what the reason I say that is that I think sometimes people think that, well, I know that it's important that people are engaged in these meetings. And so, you know, I need to call on everybody and make sure that everybody says something. And although one's intention might be um, positive, um, one needs to recognize that some people are not, um, some people can contribute in ways other than speaking in a meeting. Now, no one on this call is shy about speaking in a meeting. Um, A good facilitator doesn't need to um, shut down over-enthusiastic participants, usually called people who dominate meetings. Because as someone who's passionate um, I, I know a good facilitator recognizes my passion, and, but doesn't insult my enthusiasm. And so I don't in, insult people's enthusiasm if someone is speaking a lot in a meeting. At the same time, I know I need to create opportunities for those people who can contribute by speaking one-on-one with somebody else or people who are good in a small group or people who are more comfortable writing down their ideas the notion of introversion is that people process things or get their energy in different ways than extroverts. Mm-hmm. You know, lots of extroverts really are almost, they almost become smarter as they keep talking, despite the fact that introverts would prefer they get smarter elsewhere. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And they think they're dragging the meeting on, right? So you extroverts won't be quiet. You keep dragging this meeting on. So now I'm going to be here you know, 30 minutes instead of 15 minutes or 60 minutes instead of 30. And so you got to understand those things, which I think pulls back in leadership. Then we go to a different class that you didn't teach Linda, but one of your, one of your peers taught, and it was on change Mm -hmm. and having to understand how to build those bridges and get every, and, you know, get everybody to the same place. Mm -hmm. And you've got to have, I remember um, being called uh, building a bridge. Mm -hmm. So you may have to go out and one-on-one and talk to the introverts separately and find out what they're saying. Okay, during this meeting, here's what we went through and, and covered that kind of stuff. But I do want to keep moving on because we could talk about this stuff forever. But so the second second thing I want to talk about, so number one was redefining meaning. If it's not a meeting, what is it? We just kind of talked about it, right? It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for growth. It's an opportunity for learning. And then number two, um, you told us when we were prepping for this, Linda, be 100% clear on the goal of the meeting. How and why, how do we do this? I thought we we're supposed to just meet to meet because isn't that what we do in business? We just meet to meet. This is pretty simple. I don't think necessarily having a list of objectives is the answer. Um, but if you if you are interested in enlisting the uh, participation of those people in that in that, at that event. Um, you need to be clear on what your expectations are of them, and you also need to understand their expectations of that event. 
And if those expectations are not going to be met, you need to effectively manage them. So even though writing down a simple rational aim or a simple sentence or two that describes succinctly what you hope to accomplish, when you are asking for people's most precious resource, their time, that as a minimum is is essential. And then engaging in a conversation either before or at the onset of that meeting to make sure that everyone is uh, clear on what your expectations are for that meeting and need to be reasonably confident that you've set aside the right time and the right process to achieve that. If that process is a brainstorm or the process is um, sharing data, then gathering people's feelings or ideas or experience with that information, then gathering information about their insights or their uh, understanding or interpretation of that. And then, of course, at the end of the meeting, being sure that you put wheels on it so that it can move out the door and have some uh, action. I like Is that, that, does that make sense? Did I, I, I like that analogy. So to have a better meeting, you got to have wheels on it. So when we're finished at the end of whatever your meeting is, let's say it's an hour long manager's meeting, does this thing have wheels and are we going to go somewhere? Cause if it doesn't have wheels and it's not going anywhere, then we've just spent 60 minutes tied up in a room doing nothing, but kind of what you mentioned earlier, and that's going through a task. It's going through agenda. Okay. Here's our agenda. We covered everything on the task list. Did we get it all done? So I'm, I'm thinking through several different things, even as both of y'all been sharing. What if you have your team of 30 people below you and you have your monthly meeting and you're trying to cover so many different things in these monthly meetings? What would be your take, Linda, on how do you navigate that? Do you break it up into segments? Do you start? You, you definitely have a clear idea. I love that. And I absolutely agree. So that when everyone sits down, they know what they're doing. And yeah, have an action plan as you go on. But you only get to meet once a month. So how do you wrap up everything you need to do in a one hour meeting once a month with your, with your department, your team? This is so hypothetical in general that it's, <laughs> yeah, you know, I could give you the, the it depends answer. But sure. I think that if you have a long list of things that you, and I'll use your language, need to, quote, cover, mm-hmm. I would go through each one of those things and try to be clear on what is the aim of my covering this in this way? And how are you covering information? Are you covering it by telling people something that they can read? Are you covering it by asking them to react to something that they read before? Are you covering it by asking three or four people to share their insights about something? I mean, cover something covers a wide variety. No, that's of, a great point too, because even as you're saying covering, I'm thinking, so here's where I was going with that. I, you know, for years managed a, a large team within the healthcare system, but everyone was at a different hospital. So once a month we would get everyone together 
for an hour and I were, they were 24 hour shift workers. So I'd have to, you know, try to find that perfect time where everyone had had either enough sleep or they were working at the time, you know, on shift, off shift, and you're bringing everyone together to go over or to review anything that's upcoming new trainings, changes in our healthcare system, changes in the dynamics of the department. And what have we been doing? What are our productivity numbers? How are we doing here? And you're trying to fit all that in, in one hour's time. And there were moments where it was effective, but there were also moments where you just knew people needed to voice their opinions or their thoughts. And you had such a limited amount of time to get everything done, but you wanted everyone to be on the same page by the time you, you finished. Would everyone be on the same page to your point? Mm, probably not. You know, there's people that are more engaged than others, but, and maybe that's my personality type too. I wanted, I wanted to hear everyone's voice and I didn't have enough time to hear everyone's voice. Um, I, I can't help but think, Brooke, if I were sitting in one of those meetings and I've, I've done some work in healthcare as well. Um, you have to ask yourself, mm-hmm. why do they need to know this? In other words, when I'm getting all this information as a recipient of this fire hydrant of information, I want you to be able to say to me, mm-hmm. and this is of particular importance to, um, to the nursing team. And the reason you need to know this is that next month, what you're going to see is X, Y, and Z. And that's going to really have implications for A, B, and C. The other thing is that you both mentioned, one of you mentioned, but I think both of you mentioned, you can check this off the list. You're the leader. You had an obligation to tell people something. You did it. You can check it off the list. But if your value or your um, attention is focused on their experience and the overarching goal, um, maybe checking it off your list is not as important um, to them. So the question then becomes being honest with saying, it, I, I have some accountability to communicate this to you. And why do you have some accountability to communicate that? What's important about it? And it's setting priorities. People want to say, get a lot accomplished in a very little amount of time. And there's more and more things to accomplish in less and less time, as I know, getting older and older every day. So strategic planning is a great example. I have clients who come to me and say, we'd like to do a strategic plan and we've got, you know, a few hours on this day or in, in, in the, or two, two days, you know, it, as a leader, you have to be strategic in knowing that you have to be realistic about how much time it takes. It doesn't take a lot of time to vote. Yes, no, for it, against it. Parliamentary procedure, move it out the door. But if you're doing collaboration, consensus decision-making, that takes more time. If you can't do that, then recognize that. But that's what facilitative leadership is about. That's what strategic leadership is about. It's not about yes or no. It's lots of ways in which people are collaboratively working together. It's not a majority rules. No, I think that's great. It kind of feeds into the next point, which is just as we're wrapping up here, how making everyone comfortable and engaged. Like, how do you make everyone in this opportunity and this engaging meeting um, 
feel engaged, feel comfortable in the environment? I'm also uh, thinking about your uh, your value of learning, growing, and leading. Mm-hmm. Um, people learn in environments that they're comfortable in, and they can grow in environments that they're comfortable in. So um, you may not you may not require everyone, for example, in a video conference, um, encouraging people to turn their cameras on, mm-hmm. if at all possible. Um, you, you can encourage, and I use video conference because we've certainly been, over the last several months, uh, very uh, sort of in a new world. Um, you raised the question about mural in the opening, whether you're using a, a digital collaborative white space or whiteboard or um, using um, another tool I use is a tool called How Space. Using the spaces that you have in addition to your face and your 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 um, vision and your your hearing, but using visual spaces out in the cloud to have people collaborate and engage um, and really pushing the envelope for each one of us as creative leaders. um, You don't have to be Picasso to be creative. You, you have those skills or those values that say, what are different ways? I worked with a client recently where we did a meeting that was uh, all video conference And yet, in advance of the meeting, every person was sent a box with some items in them. And people were able to pick up certain items from their box and talk about them. So, being creative is not just being um, an excellent graphic recorder um, or a singer or a dancer. Um, It's really pushing your individual creativity to think about how to engage participation. I gave some examples but my guess is if we were to survey all the people who are listening to this podcast right now and engage their participation, they'll probably have plenty of examples of how they have felt engaged. I would sort of challenge people to think, when was the last time you felt engaged in a meeting? When did you feel like your participation mattered? So we've got a social media post we need to do now and just do that, have a poll out there and say, when is the last time you felt engaged and see how much participation we can get back to see? Because my guess is it's going to be a lot like what you're saying. and It's not going to be very high because so many people look at meetings as something they have to do and they're just going to, but I don't don't know necessarily which, but I think what I'm saying is that maybe I say, when was the last time you felt engaged? And maybe some people can say, I can tell you when that was. And my question would be, how were you engaged? What happened then? What was different about that particular? You you know, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, in a spirit of appreciative inquiry, I want to ask questions about things that I want to see more of. Yeah. And so one what appreciative inquiry is. It's part of my my leadership beliefs Mm -hmm. is, and I have it in my leadership pitfall series, and it's when an employee is not engaged and the leader goes and accuses the employee of not being engaged. No, it's not the employee's fault they're not engaged. It's your fault as a leader because you did not engage them. 
That is your job as a leader to draw out the best of them. And if you're not doing it, it's not their fault. So we need to understand who our followers are so that we can lead them to get them to be engaged. That's just my belief. I mean, there's going to be other people that probably have a different perspective on that. But you touched on another thing, Linda, I wanted to talk about too. And when you brought up, you know, going through all these video conferencing and things, one of the things that I've seen, so if we go pre-pandemic and we talk about having a meeting, and it's what you said earlier, Brooke, it's the conference room table, it's the boardroom, it's, you know, white walls, pictures, stuffy, whatever, you know, mm-hmm. plate of candy and cookies in the middle, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. That's what everybody had pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. Pandemic on, now we're doing all these Zoom calls and people's pets are coming into the pictures. People's kids are coming in the pictures. Um, we've had it going on today. Phones ring and beeping. And you know what? And that's just who we are as a society. And now we're, we're natural, we're vulnerable, and people are seeing a new side of us instead of everybody having the exact same thing. And now it's, I think it's bringing out, I'm not going to say it's bringing out a lot of empathy, but it's bringing out some more empathetic feelings towards employees because they can see everything that's going around in somebody else's world when they're outside of that boardroom, outside of the conference room or the meeting room or, or what have you, which I think has been really interesting piece that's come out. I'd say it's a positive that's come out of the pandemic. Yeah. Makes it more like the water cooler. Yes, absolutely. Bingo. Yeah. So yeah, there we are. All right. Well, we're up. This is the end of our 45 minute or our 30 minute interview. Um, so we're going to wrap up and go into a conclusion portion of the show. We appreciate you joining us, Linda. Your time, your knowledge is immensely. We're grateful for it. So thank you for joining us. Have a great day and we'll be in touch soon. Okay. Thanks for having me. All right. So closing this thing down. What did you learn? Kevin, you were pretty busy during this podcast today. You had a lot of activity going on over there. So what did you learn? Yeah, what do you, always, you always want me to go first. You're going to do that to me every time. We're going to do it to you every time because you and I have, because you, that's the first you've heard this, right? Well, you, that is true. So Brooke and I have been working on this. We've been preparing. We've got some ideas. Okay, okay. So I'm a fresh canvas. Yeah. You're fresh. Canvas. And it was, I had to get up and uh, check the internet. I wanted to make sure we weren't going to, because I thought we were going to lose her a couple of times. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I was a little bit nervous. I saw, I saw the look. You got, you got really pale there for a second. Yep, yep. I because yeah, I thought we were gonna have to stop and restart, and that always throws off everybody's mojo. But uh, so, what'd you learn? You know, this isn't a one of those topics that doesn't really apply to me in a lot of ways, only because I don't ever have what you guys would consider the old-fashioned conventional meeting these days. Mm. I mean, I don't. I did when I used to work at a. I worked at a PR firm for a couple of years, and every morning we would have the nine o'clock meeting, and I hated it so much. Because I would have like a client coming at 9.30 and I'm sitting there while everyone's talking about what they're going to do today. And I'm like, well, I'm wasting my morning. I could be preparing, listening to this crap. And I always said, I think that the meeting should be optional. But they said, no, no, if you do that, then people won't come. And I'm like, I think they will because there are some people who want some guidance and maybe someone to bounce some ideas off of and figure out the best way to utilize their day, you know? And there would be times where I might be in that situation. So that's what I learned that what I was thinking back then, that actually can can work, you know, and still function in a group of a lot of people, even though uh, I don't really do that that much today. I mean, do you guys just, Rich, in, in uh, entrepreneurial, do you have any, a lot of, I mean, you don't meet with employees and whatnot. What do you have that you consider the traditional meeting? Who is it usually with? For me right now, traditional meetings are usually meeting with a 
prospective client or sitting down with a client. That's going, exactly what I was going to say. My and, only one yeah. that I would consider close to a meeting would just yeah. be meeting down with a prospect client, which yeah. I wouldn't call it a pitch meeting, but somewhat. That's know, what it is. It or is. discovery meeting. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But what's really neat about those is, is, is you have a unique investment in them because you would like to have their business. You want to earn it. They have a unique investment in you because they want to know what you can do to help their business grow or how the two of you can help each other. And it's, so it's a different dynamic than when you're meeting with the same handful of people that are on your team and you right. meet all the time over and over. And you're like, Oh, here we go again. We're going to have the same. So meeting. to me, after listening to Linda, the prospect meeting is a perfect example of how to utilize a meeting properly. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd say you'd, you'd see a high level of engagement in a prospect meeting, right? Because Definitely, both, you're both interested both and invested. parties are invested and interested. Yep. Yeah. And engaged in whatever the topic is. You're not going in going, Oh, great. Here we go again. Mm-hmm. It doesn't apply to you're not me. Looking at right? your watch, like <laughs> yeah. about something else. Yeah. And if we took that approach with a weekly manager's meeting or a monthly mm-hmm. department meeting, and you went into it thinking that same way, you'd Absolutely. really, you would definitely do what she said, redefine the meeting as an opportunity. And I'm going to take it one step farther. 100% and, you would do that. And, and I had an aha moment when we were talking with Linda and she said, it's an opportunity and it's more than an opportunity for me. It's an opportunity to learn. So if I'm in there facilitating the meeting, what can I learn from somebody else? How can I help? And if I learn, and then maybe somebody else in their room's going and the room's going to learn as well. And now we've got something going, right? Yeah, you know, one of the things, just that nugget, when um, I asked the question about, you know, the hypothetical meeting once a month, and really honing in on, she didn't say the word why, but that's exactly what came to my mind. Why? What is the reason for this information that you're giving them, right? Yep. And so saying, okay, this is X, Y, and Z, and here is why we need to do it, you know, in the weeks ahead. And then we will measure it, you know, or then we will look back and see, was it effective or was it not really being clear on your context? Because I think if you're walking into a meeting and you know that you're going to walk away with something substantial for you, that's huge. I mean, that's going to change the uh, way yeah, that you're definitely. looking at it. You know, all of a sudden you are more aware because you know, when I leave here, there's going to be something that I'm being asked to do because if not, this was a waste of my time. And, and then another reason that it's ineffective to have the mandatory meeting where everyone has to be there because sometimes, you know, somebody may say, Hey, I do have a client coming in. I'm, I got to, mm-hmm. you know, duck out. Mm-hmm. But then a lot of the other people who aren't invested in that meeting who are still having to sit there like, well, Kevin thinks he's too cool to have to sit through the meeting, you know, and then your fellow employees are going to resent you for that. Yeah. 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 So you got to have some ground, some ground rules about the meeting. Like what is an excusable absence? Because if everybody's going to be there. So here's what just popped in my head is, you know, we're going through this master's program when we're going to school mm-hmm. and we'd meet for three hours in person. Mm-hmm. What is that? It's a meeting. Mm-hmm. We got somebody in there facilitating. It was a professor. We got all of us in there and we're talking. And what was the goal? The goal of the meeting was to learn. Yeah. And then when we, I remember we'd leave, it was three hours and it was a tense. But I felt energized. I left. I'm like, holy crap, I got stuff I can use that I can go out in the real world and then put it into place. And if we would take that now, if we look at it the other side, okay, um, I got a three-hour meeting tonight. They're going to give me 20 books to read, five papers to write, and a research project. And then now you look at it as a task-oriented thing, and you're going to be like, it just feels like work. Yeah, it feels mm-hmm. like work and it stinks mm-hmm. and nobody wants to do it. So that's, if we go back to redefine, so how do we redefine this meeting? Well, let's get it into an opportunity for learning. What are we learning? We're learning about where we're going as an organization, what our goals are. Do we all understand what the purpose is? I think we touched on that earlier. So to keep this thing rolling though, so um, 
let's go to the next thing. What was out of everything she talked about? What was your favorite? Hmm. I stumped you. This is called yeah. stump the guru. Stump the guru. She said something here at the end. I know what I'm thinking of, but I can't remember the term for it that she used. Um, she has a lot of terms. Facilitation. She does. Yeah. Facilitation. Uh, she terms. said, um, uh, oh, God, now you got me stuck, too. Right? Uh, <laughs> intentional um, meaning. It was a, yes. Uh, intention, uh, rational and um, irrational. No, it wasn't irrational. But it was the other word she used in there. Not rational, but. See, Rich is the guru when it comes to remembering this exactly. stuff. And, <laughs> and, he, and she had my mind. She had my mind racing. And some there's a listener out there right now. Going, oh, the movement. Are you yeah, talking about you the, the, the door or the keeping a, a meeting moving as you go out the door? You said something about oh, cars putting wheels on it. Putting yeah. wheels on it. Putting wheels on it. That was the aha moment for me. So when we get done with meeting and that's I guess that was probably. Be that's my still not what I'm thinking of, but I'm, I'll, I'll mm-hmm. think of it. So start Googling what's the opposite of rational <laughs> and it'll come up, but it's a, it's a thought process. When she said it, I'm like, dang, that's a big word. I don't use that word. Um, but I did like the idea that she said, you know, let's put some wheels on it. And it's a great analogy. And when you talk about strategic leadership, chess, being able to see what moves, if I move my piece to one of these squares, what's going to happen in the next coming ones and being able to predict whether it be your opponent, it doesn't have to be an opponent. It could be a, a comrade, a peer, um, it could be a, it could be somebody that's in the same industry as you. What's that other? What's your biggest competitor doing? If I make this move, what are they going to do? So you bring it all in strategic leadership, and it's like, dang, now we got it. But for me, that painted the vision. I thought of it by the way. It's rational and experiential. You did not think. You just had Google in front of you. No, she texted. She sent it to me on the chat. Oh, she's she's listening. <laughs> she's in. Yes, awesome. I think my takeaway and really learning how to think outside the box. So she hit on creativity and how as a leader, you are a creative thinker and you need to think in ways that is going to engage everyone in that room. Um, and so, you know, she kind of challenges on that too. How do you engage those who are um, not external processes, who are not extroverts? So an extrovert, she's absolutely right. I don't think in my head, I think as I'm speaking and it really does, things start to click and then I get excited. Hey, look, oh, oh, this just came to mind. But who are those others in the room? Who, who are those that maybe seem like a wallflower, but they're not, they're processing, they're thinking, they're, you know, and they're watching, they're observing. And I loved what she said, just that example about how, you know, on Zoom, there, there is this notion that Zoom has become this boring, tedious thing. And, and it's just, the, but, but we live in a virtual world and et cetera, et cetera. Why not send out some things to get those creative juices rolling and then you all meet together that's excitement going into it yeah. right well i liked her idea of sending out a box of goodies to so your cool. team and you pull yes. something out you got to describe it yes yeah. yes mm-hmm. that, that'd be pretty cool that'd be fun to do yeah i like that a lot so now closing this out how are you going to use this information to prove your opportunities kevin i got you thinking look yeah at that. yeah you did you definitely i i'm rarely at a loss for words but I'm going to default to Brooke on this one. Okay. Well, I actually am ready for this one. So, okay. I, from the very beginning, she said, you know, a meeting and to do it well, there needs to be self-awareness and you need to be aware of others. You can't do one or the other and be an effective leader. You can't be an effective facilitator if you aren't bringing in all those pieces together and really building that awareness and then bringing, engaging your audience. Um, And it's so easy to get caught into one or the other. 
So I think that is my challenge. And just as I improve, as I move forward, I really want to consider both of those um, and really looking at the group as a whole and how can I effectively reach those who aren't right here in the front, you know, those that are in the gallery, those that, are, that um, might not be the first ones that, that I notice or engage in. I think that's going to be my challenge to bring those just as, as engaged as those who are immediately, you know, like raising their hand or wanting to share. Yeah. So how I would say to use the information, are you ready to go? Did you think of something? Yeah, I did. Let's hear it. Um, mine's more hypothetical. I would like to think that down the line, if I'm leading, you know, cause obviously this isn't stuff that I'm going to implement necessarily in my prospect client meeting, but if I have people that I'm managing that work underneath mm -hmm. me, um, you know, like middle management, similar to what we were talking about earlier, uh, learning how to leverage different people's talents is something that she mentioned that was, yes. that was, that's really helpful. Bam. So you let, you're leading me right into my well, sales, boom. my sales pitch. Here it is. Cause so, you have to recognize that, you yes. know, and it's not everybody so is crucial. the same. Not everyone. Is you the have same. to recognize what they're doing that you don't have or the other people don't, you know? Mm -hmm. So hopefully we've given all of our listeners something to go on to go back and at least attempt to work on, to try to have a better meeting. Number one is redefine the meeting. And if it's not meeting, what is it? We said it's an opportunity to learn, be hundred percent clear on what the goal of the meeting is. So make sure everybody knows why or the purpose, what are you doing there? And then the last piece is to make every person comfortable and engaged. And so here's how Brooke and I can help you at Dignity Leadership Consulting is we use the, the DISC assessment. We use the one by TTI Insights, which we're going to pull back and understand what all your behaviors are. And we're also going to add to it the 12 driving forces, which is what motivates you. Mm -hmm. Between those two, there's over 92,000 combinations. So it's not just going to spit something out, you know, one of 16 and here's what it is. And then once you have those assessments done, and if you're the leader of the team, and we can walk you through this and help you, now you start understanding who you are, self-awareness, and you start understanding who they are, what you said, awareness of others, and you understand what motivates them. And now you can start talking to them in their language and you'll instantly, I, I mean, I can't guarantee you this, but I would give you money back guarantee. If you got a small team and you want us to help you, we can help you have better meetings by going through this process and then implementing what Linda just talked talk to us about today. And you'll be off and running. And some of the stuff we've seen, we've worked with a couple of different clients where we've seen like a 20% reduction in labor costs because they've come together. We don't even ever touch their processes or their products or anything, how to do it. We just help them communicate better. And all of a sudden things just start going. So there's a lot of different things we can do with that. But I think I'm getting the old signal from Kevin E, the monster millennial. Yeah, trying to keep you on a tight clock. <laughs> we are right up against the end of the show. So thanks for joining us today on our leadership journey. If you're looking for more leadership guidance, please reach out to us and give us a follow on your favorite social media platform. Dignity Leadership or dignity-leadership.com on the World Wide Web. Also, Dignity Leadership Consulting on Facebook. Dignity Leadership, all one word on Instagram. Dignity Leadership on LinkedIn. Dignity Leadership, one word on TikTok. Dignity Leadership Live on YouTube. At DLC with Rich on Twitter. And at DLC with Brooke on Twitter. Keep paddling. Keep paddling. Mm -hmm.